Well, good morning, Highlands. It's good to be with you this morning as we continue our study. In Philippians chapter, through a special thanks to Sanjeev for that wonderful testimony too about what it means to live uh, the gospel in unstable regions of the world. Well, last week, uh, about 10 days ago actually, I, I took a 48-hour vacation to a warm and dry place in the world. It was great. And, uh, but on the way back, as I, just before I boarded the plane, I stopped in to the attendant at the gate and I said, do you have any available seats for tall people? And uh, she, I think she was smiling under her mask, I don't know, but she granted me a boarding pass for an exit row seat, yes! So I boarded the plane and uh, sat, in, sat down and stretched out my legs. And just then the flight attendant showed up and stood just in a discussion with the people seated at the exit rows with instructions for what to do in case of emergency, okay? And then, one by one, she looked us in the eye and asked us, in the event of an emergency, are you willing to be the last one off the plane? And she waited for our verbal answer and so she pointed her finger at me, and I go, yes. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder if she hadn't even asked that question. I wonder what I would have done just naturally anyway. I hope, anyway, that I would have, you know, in helping people off the plane. Well, today, we're going to be uh, looking at what constitutes an emergency. In God's perspective, there was brokenness, there was strife, there was complaining. There was broken relationships in the church at Philippi. And I, I believe in God's perspective, there was an emergency going on. Well, our passage today gives us a clear picture of what it looks like to be the last one off the plane, to be really the ones that are seated in the exit rows. You know, in the first chapter, we, uh, we saw what that looks like as Paul just opened himself up and had us, it's like viewing through a window of Scripture on Paul's life. It's the most personal passage in all of the New Testament on the life of Paul. There he writes the pronoun I more often than any other place. I have you in my heart, he says. I deeply miss all of you. And on and on, I long to depart, you know, and to be with, with Christ. And then Paul turns our attention to another window. He has us look through the lens of Scripture at Jesus as an example of what it means to, to be humble, who being in the form of God, you know, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but became a man, took the form of a servant, it said, and was made in the likeness of men. And, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, even death, even the death on the cross, it said. Well, then Paul changes our view again, and he changes from the window of Scripture instead to looking at Scripture like a mirror, he said, now, Philippians, look at yourselves. What are you doing? You're complaining. 
you're arguing. And it reminds them afterwards that they're to shine like stars in the world. And I just think he had them uh, say, it, say it in that way because he, he wanted to remind them of the words of Jesus. Remember when Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hid, neither do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men. And so that is what his encouragement is to the Philippians. You know, they might have been saying, well, what does that look like anyway, to shine as stars in the world? You know, uh, they might have been thinking to themselves, well, okay, Paul talked about Jesus, but Jesus is the son of God. He, I mean, doesn't he have kind of an inside track on obedience, this, this whole thing about obedience? You know, how could I ever live up to that? And then they might be thinking to themselves, and then there's the Apostle Paul. He uses himself as an example. And they might be thinking, well, he's an apostle. <laughs> you know, he's, he heals people. I mean, he, he has started many, how can I possibly live up to that? And so Paul, I believe, is anticipating these reactions. And so he um, uses, he shares about two men, really, Timothy and Epaphroditus here. Just ordinary, everyday guys. Guys that you might, might be sitting, you know, next to you at a, a common worship service. Guys whom you know, he says. And... Um, from birth. And so he uses these men as examples of what it looks like to, to just be ordinary, but to live in an extraordinary way. The first person he shares about is Timothy. Now, Timothy spent a lot of time with Paul. He watched Paul. He was with Paul before he was even selected by Paul. I believe that Timothy was watching him as a young man. Timothy grew up in a small town. It was Lystra. Now, if you remember, in Acts chapter 14, this, there's a story about Paul visiting Lystra for the first time. What happens? He heals a man who is lame from birth and creates such a stir that the people stone him, drag him out of the city, and leave him for dead. I believe Timothy saw that or was well acquainted with the story of what went on in the town at that time. But Paul revived. And what did Paul do? What was his reaction? You know, I think naturally anyway, anybody would have said, I am not going back to Lystra ever again. I am not going to forgive those folks. But what did Paul do? He went back. He went back to the place of his execution. Again and again. Why? Because he said, the love of Christ compels me. The love of Christ compels me. And he even preached the same message. He didn't change it one bit. And then Paul invited Timothy, who was watching him all this time, to join him. He recruited him for the service and was with him. He saw Paul 
compelled by Christ in all these cities that they went to. Uh, he watched Paul prove time and time again that the gospel was not only worth living for, it was worth dying for. And what is that news? What is the news that is so compelling to Paul that everything else just paled in comparison? It's this. God so loves people that he became a man. And his name is Jesus. He lived a sinless life on this earth. And then he died a horrible death, even death on the cross. And in doing so, he took the sins, the penalty for sins for every person on this earth for all time, everyone, everywhere, man, woman, and child, in his body, on the cross. He died for your sins. And so when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out of the agony that our sins were having in separating him from his God. And that's not all. He died. He died dead. They peeled his body off the cross and put it in a borrowed tomb, sealed it up. But death could not hold Jesus. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He became alive in bodily form. And he showed himself to his disciples and over 500 other people who were still alive, even at the time of the writings of Paul. And he is alive today. And that makes all the difference. He is alive today and wants you to know that his offer of forgiveness and life is available to you no matter where you are in life. You can say, along with the people saying that Jesus is Lord right now. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for taking my sins in your body on the cross and dying for them so I wouldn't have to. And when you do, you'll receive a new nature. That's right, a new nature. We read in scripture, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a message that Timothy heard repeated countless of times throughout all the cities of the Mediterranean. And when Timothy was taken under Paul's wing, Paul just didn't share information. He, his goal in Timothy was, was imitation, imitation. Paul watched and, and um, Timothy watched as Paul was with him all of this time. So eventually Paul could say, you know, um, in verse 20, for I have no one like-minded who will genuinely care for you. You know, the words like-minded here are better rendered like-souled. I like that, like-souled. They shared uh, the same passion together. They were like, their souls were like glued together in, in the ministry. 
His concern for others was just like Paul's and had become kind of a second nature to him. How can we be like that anyway? I mean, when being the last one off the plane, just a second nature to us. When grumbling and complaining and self-centeredness kind of take a back seat, really. Our most natural tendency, though, isn't it, is to be first in line, <laughs> to be first one on the plane, to be first one off the plane. You know, we win. A new grocery line opens up, and we're the first one there. We win. You know, first one at the exit, we win. First one that wins the bid, you know, we win. That's just the way our lives go. It's pervasive, and it's true today as it was when Paul wrote these words. For all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Those words are so penetrating to me, aren't they? To you. And they must have been to the Philippians when, when they read, the, read these words. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, Paul, really? I mean, really? Can't you put an ex kind of an exception clause in, you know, where I can, you know, kind of relate with that? All? But he didn't. You see, seeking their own means, means striving for our own profit, our own ease and pleasure and satisfaction, and, and leaving the gospel far behind. The result of living that way is like what Psalm 1 says. It's like, it's like chaff. You know, picture, a, take, take a pinch of grass, and not dry grass, uh, okay, just to be in mind, and throw it in the air on a day like today. What happens? Said your life will be like chaff, which the wind just drives away. How do we avoid that? I don't want my life being you know, like that. Well, the answer lies in a whole new nature, a nature that looks to other people naturally. And that's what we're talking about. Second, Tim, uh, Second Corinthians 5 says this. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new nature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, a new nature. When you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, you not only receive forgiveness and life, you receive a new nature. And living into that nature is what we're talking about. You see, Confessing a Christ as Lord means placing Jesus as Lord in your life. It means giving him control of the throne of your life. And there's no, not room for two there. There's just room for one. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. When? How often? Daily. Daily. You know, it starts with a decision that one decision, but after that, it may involve hundreds of decisions every day to take ourselves off the throne and put him on the throne of our life. Next, in order to move from being naturally self-centered to thinking of others first, we need a new priority for living, really. Something that just eclipses our own desire. You know, Timothy watched and was with Paul. He saw that the gospel so consumed Paul 
that Paul even lost sight of himself. And that's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it look like anyway? To be so compelled with the gospel of Christ and uh, Jesus that everything else just pales in comparison? Well, at the time I came on staff, it was over 20 years ago, I came out of a secular uh, position. I didn't know what being, being a pastor was all about. And so uh, there was a pastor here on staff. His name was Pastor Ron, Ron Lawler. He was a Texan. And uh, I watched and was with him and learned what it was like firsthand. I watched and was with Ron as we visited folks in hospitals and in homes and in other places. I watched and was with Ron as we officiated at um, weddings together. I watched and was with Ron as we preached together, kind of a tandem. I watched and was with Ron as we did memorial services together. Well, the day came. Uh, and I was to go solo. It was a memorial service. And later I learned that this memorial service was not here at Highlands, no. The location was in the meeting hall of a semi-secret fraternal organization nearby. Now, I went into Ron's office and I said, Ron! I don't know if I should even go there, let alone officiate there. I mean, isn't that kind of out of bounds? Ron leaned back in his chair. He looked me in the eye, and, and he said in his Texan drawl, I can still remember, he said, Barry, if I went to the pit of hell, I'd go there if it meant sharing the gospel with folks. <laughs> Well, Jesus did. And Paul did as he went back to Lystra. And Timothy. And Ron would have. And so I went. <laughs> and I shared the gospel and the great hope and the comfort of Jesus gives to grieving loved ones. Why? Because it's the love of Christ that compels us so that people everywhere, even in members of semi-secret fraternal organizations, can hear about the life-saving message of Christ. And you can have in faith alone and Christ alone and not by rituals of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. <laughs> Another time I, in seminary, I watched and I was with a particular professor and I asked him the question, what if, what if God calls me to an unstable region in the world? And he said, Barry, if God calls you to an unstable region in the world, you go. You go. One time after returning from a short-term mission trip, uh, on the flight back home, uh, now this was on the other side of the world in an island of indigenous people, 
On the flight back home, I was sitting next to a passenger, I forget who it was now, but I shared, you know, we just got to talking. And I shared where I had been, you know, in this island, working with the people. And their reply was, that's oh, interesting. Did you know that, that this place uh, was registered by U.S. News and World Report as the second most dangerous place on earth? And I thought, hmm, I didn't read that in the brochure. <laughs> but, but would it have made any difference? Because the love of Christ compels us. Recently, one of the dear members of our church here lost a loved one. And this loved one was a young man who was involved in a gang. And he tragically, uh, horrifically lost his life in the, in the process. A memorial was planned, and I was invited to officiate. And I learned that there was a real possibility because of his involvement of gang retaliation. And so, uh, upon the advice of the Renton City Police and the King County Sheriff, who knew of this uh, gentleman, they advised us not to host the service here out of risk for the attendees and the staff and anyone else that would be in the building at the time. So... So we chose an alternate location about an hour away from town. And, uh, you know, as I shared with some of the staff, uh, they asked me, of course, are you uh, having some fears? And I nodded my head. But in my mind, it flashed back to Jesus. And then Paul and then Ron and my professor and my missions trip across the world. And like them, I was just captivated by the opportunity of sharing Christ and the hope and the healing that Jesus can give. For the love of Christ compels us. These are the ones from whom Christ died. Of all the people who need hope and healing in their lives, it's the people who are broken, the people who are hurting, and gang members. For the love of Christ compels us. And so it was. I received tips from law enforcement on what to do, you know. Uh, as I traveled there, parked the car, and I could see there was, you know, security in the parking lot. It wasn't the kind of security that I'd ever kind of seen before, <laughs> nevertheless. And I went into the room thinking I'd be, I'd, I wouldn't know anybody there, you know, I mean... I might know the, the member, the church member, of course. But there in that room, to my joy and surprise, there were members of Highlands Community Church who had traveled over an hour away to be with their dear sister in Christ who were members of her community group. Why? Because the love of Christ compels us, they chose to sit, you might say, in the exit row and be ready. They were there. There was no other place they would rather be. And so the gospel was shared in word, but more so in demonstration of the power 
of the hope of the gospel that crosses across any barrier and overcomes any fear. For it's the love of Christ that compels us. Lastly, we need to be with people who lead sacrificial lives. And we need to be that kind of person in another person's life, to have a sacrificial friend and vice versa. Find a citizen of heaven that you can imitate. Watch and be with them. You won't find them in the front row. They won't be calling attention to themselves. They might not even be a leader here or even want to be. (laughs) But in them would be this natural tendency to put others first. And then be a sacrificial friend in that same way to somebody else. Sacrificial friends are marked by these things. First, they're close. Notice that that Paul and Timothy had a a father and son relationship. That that implies closeness there. Uh, Timothy carried Paul's spiritual DNA. I'm sure he cared for people like Paul. He loved people like Paul. I think he even prayed like Paul. Number two, be caring. Relationships must be caring, uh, says that Timothy genuinely cared for these people. Timothy's life was modeled by Philippians 2, verse 4. It says, everyone should look on his, not on his own interests, but rather on the interests of others. That's Timothy. Now, one thing I've seen over and over again And one thing that you're, I'm sure, have heard before, but nevertheless bears repeating, one doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Isn't that true? One doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People are going to long forget the plans and the processes and the procedures and the policies, but they won't forget the times that we've cared. No. No. That's the DNA of Highlands. See, genuine caring carries with it a genuine cost. Instead of thinking what we're getting, focus on what you can give. Get involved. Don't wait. Join a community group. Lead a community group. Start one. Be a leader in caring for other people. Celebrate recovery. Be a Sunday school teacher, whatever it is. And number three, be real. Timothy, it said, had proven himself. In other words, he had earned the trust of the Philippian church. His character had been tested. No theatrics, no hypocrisy. Timothy was the real deal. He traveled with Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. He served with him in Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi and Ephesus and Troas. Timothy comforted Paul in his first imprisonment. So who does Paul ask for when he's ready to die? Yeah, it's Timothy. Bring Timothy. See, friends like Timothy are rare. When it seems like the world, all, all, is seeking their own. And I want guys like Timothy to be seated in the exit row here at Highlands. Today, you can have that same impact wherever you are because every member at Highlands here is a minister. You might not realize it, but you are. 
He has targeted you to be a minister here. You can join and lead a community group and all the other things. Position yourself to be close and caring and real. And then Paul mentions Epaphroditus. One of their own church members who had come to minister to Paul, he says, this guy is a brother. He is a worker, a fellow worker. He is a soldier. And you know, the Philippians were full of retired soldiers. That whole town was. Remember what Paul said earlier about soldiering. He said, share in the suffering as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please his commanding officer. And that's really the deadly danger of any church. To desire comfort and enjoy life, you know, at the expense of the gospel. He said, don't do it. Be a soldier. Endure hardship. Move into the brokenness and the pain of other people's lives. Why? Because that's where Jesus would be. Next, Epaphroditus was a messenger, almost at the cost of his life. We don't know the exact details there. And he was, he was a minister. He ministered to the squalor. You can imagine what it would be like in a Roman prison. And Epaphroditus wasn't afraid to move into that and minister to Paul. He may have lived 60 or 70 years, but you know, Scripture is, summarizes his life in five words. Brother, worker, soldier, uh, minister, and messenger. That's quite a legacy, isn't it? It makes me think, you know, how God might label me. Have you ever thought of that? How, how might God label you if it was just a few words today? How would God summarize your life? Would it look like Philippians 2, 21? All seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. See, selfishness is ugly, isn't it? Depressing, demeaning, war, hate, strife, broken relationships all result from selfishness. Selfishness creates hard and mean and little people. Selfishness destroys marriages and careers, churches and even lives. Selfish lives will end up just like we've been talking about, like, like chaff, you know, which the wind drives away. Or... Will your life look like Philippians 1.21? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. A Christ-centered life of selflessness is beautiful. It's Ginny. It's Velma. It's John and Marlene. It's Linda and Don, and Tom, and Elaine, and Ken, and Greg, and John, and David, and on, and on, and on in this family we call Highlands Community Church. It's love, and joy, and peace, and gentleness, and mercy that results from a gospel-centered, sacrificial life. To live as Christ restores marriages, heals broken relationships, frees people from bondage. Your life will become like a blessing, and like what Psalm 1 says, you're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. 
Your leaf will not wither. In all that you do, you'll prosper. So, which one describes you best today? Where would you want to be? It takes a new nature, new priorities, compelling priority in your life, and sacrificial friendships, and being a sacrificial friend. Let's pray. Such a joy, Lord, to be a part of the prophecy fulfilled that says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my commandments, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Father, help us to walk according to the new nature. Help us to sit in the exit row, ready to help people in need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.